Uh, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. We are uh, looking in the book of Ecclesiastes, which is, uh, I got I to talk about it a little bit, and uh, for before I even get to that, I got to talk about the pericope. Super exciting, right? So the pericope is the scheduled readings that they have, and it runs on a three-year cycle. How many of you knew that? Okay, so the pericope runs on this three-year cycle, and it starts in Advent at the uh, beginning of December usually, or the end of November, and it runs through the church year, which obviously goes right up until Advent. And so they follow these readings so that you can hear the whole counsel of God in the course of a year. That's kind of the idea, in the course of like three years. And you'd say, well, why don't we just follow all the Bible? So I did a little bit of research because I was doing this uh, with our men's group. We're talking about what kind of effort would it take to read the whole Bible. So to read the whole Bible out loud, I'm going to give you three options. Is it going to take between 0 and 25 hours, 25 to 50 hours, 50 to 75 75 to 100. So think in your head, how long would this take? All, all of you who have done it and you time yourself, you, then you know, right? So how long would that take? What's your guess? A, B, C, or D. It's that D is what it lends up to. It's roughly 75 to 90 hours. So then you do a little bit of math and say, okay, what would it take for us to read this? If you talk minutes, I can't remember what the exact figure is, but it's roughly like 5,400 minutes. Then you divide that per Sunday by 52 and we get roughly 100 minutes, which means every Sunday for us to go through all of the Bible, it would take us one hour and 40 minutes. We could do that. It would make my job a lot easier. I could just get up here and I could just read for an hour and 40 minutes. You guys would hear the Bible and you'd be like, we heard the whole counsel of God. That's very good. Um, we'd have a great, you know, things would be fantastic. And then probably the same day we're reading Leviticus would happen on Labor Day. So it'd be like the lowest attendance of all time. But so we could do that, and realistically, though, how long are our readings? We read for like five minutes. So five times 52, roughly, we're getting into 100 and 260 minutes. So you divide that by 60, and we, we only read four out of like the roughly 100 hours. So all I can give you is four out of 100 hours. So the people writing this realize that. So when they get to the book of Ecclesiastes, it only comes up twice. And, and I started to go through this section. I was really excited about it, and I thought, you know what? i got to take a risk. And here is my risk. We are going to start in the beginning, and our section is in the end of chapter 2, and just kind of follow and understand where Solomon was coming from so you can get to his conclusion. Because it's about the most depressing opening of all time if you read the book of Leviticus, and I, not that too, uh, but if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, it's, it's meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless, utterly meaningless. Right? That ranks right up there with, like, I have a dream, right? I mean, you're about ready to run through a wall right now, right? This is, I'm, like, just pumped. So it's really a depressing thing. But I think if you've lived more than, like, 15 minutes, you've been in a spot where you're going, like, what is the purpose of my life? Like, what, what is happening here? And you've had some of these contemplative moments to say, like, is, is my worth, life even worthwhile? I mean, if they talk about suicide rates, where does that get there? Because teens across the world, older people across the world, people in their prime across the world are saying, like, you know, what's the point in my whole life? And so I think it makes some sense to spend a little bit of time to hear what Solomon has to say on it. And the reason we want to listen to him is because he's an expert. So a friend of mine, did anyone go to Maddie's last night, listen to the band? Okay, good. So I shouldn't say good. My friend was there, and he was playing. We have a mutual friend, Amy and I. Um, we have a mutual friend. He plays in a band, and uh, it's an old-style country band, and steel is, is that a guitar? with no frets, does that make sense? So one of the guys is 19 years old, he plays the steel. That's all he said, so I didn't want to look dumb and say like the steel what? So I just go, mm, yeah, the steel, definitely, man. That's hard, <laughs> really hard. So he's 19, they're going down to record a record and the greatest steel player of all time, which you all know, 
I don't either. So I just, I just nodded again. I'm like, oh yeah, that's what an opportunity, man. That's amazing. So he was going down there and this 19 year old is going to some other songwriting class instead of going to sit at the feet of this guy while they record the record. Cause he's like, wouldn't you want to sit at the feet of like the ultimate pro and just see how he makes these sounds? And I said, yes. And so in a way we get to do that with Solomon because Solomon is basically your life and my life on not just steroids, but like steroids times like a hundred. And what is happening is when you talk about your meaningless life or what you struggle with and you wake up in the morning, you're like, what's the point? Usually you get this idea that says, you know what I should do? I should try this or I should do this or I should go buy this or I should maybe go on a trip or I should, you know, you get all these kind of ideas that say, okay, this would make my life a lot better. Solomon tried a lot of those things. So Solomon is, and Scott was right, he's probably in his 50s. There's a little bit different thing. So Solomon is David's second son through Bathsheba. So remember, he had an affair, the first son died, and then this is their second son. He becomes king. Tradition says right around 15 years old. So he's not very old, and that's when the Lord appears, and he has this dream, and he says, I want some wisdom because I'm I'm just a boy. Like, how am I going to do this? So he's 15 years old. So imagine you run the country at 15 years old. (laughs) I'm like, oh my goodness, could you imagine that? How big can these screens get? You know, like, that's what I'm just picturing these guys. But he's 15 years old, and it's a trip. So he goes along, and he's trying to figure this out. He rules all the way until his death, and his death is in his 50s, between 52 and 60. And do you know when men, on average, go into a midlife crisis? 54. 54 years old. So Solomon, I mean, in theory, would be right around this time where you're reflecting on your life and saying, Does people smile? I can't make eye contact with anyone because everyone knows someone who's 54 and they start nudging their dad. They're like, ah, go buy a Corvette, you know, <laughs> and give us a ride. Okay, so like this is, this is kind of where his point He's looking back at his life and all the things that he's tried. So he starts to write this book, Ecclesiastes. The way that the Jewish people would use that, they would have festivals. And they had festivals, um, five festivals throughout the year. And the one that they would use this one to read for is the Festival of Sokoth or Booths. Are you familiar with that? That comes up in October this year. Every, this is big time. So they have a whole week, the Jewish people, they set up tents outside of Jerusalem. And they have to eat inside those tents to remember like they wandered in the desert and the Lord provided for them. So this is kind of a, a, one of the readings that they do is out of the book. They read the book of Ecclesiastes. It wouldn't take long. Uh, you can read the whole book in about 40 minutes out loud. So we could, again, just do that and make my job easier. But we won't. This is the beginning of it. Before I get to that, good job, Jared. Uh, before I get to that, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. One major theme, which I forgot to mention, is he talks about everything being under the sun. So Solomon is trying to give you his assessment of, of viewing everything that you can see with the observable world, and how is that different, and how does that different for you as a believer who would say that there's what we observe, and then there's something else. The words of the teacher, son of David, king of Jerusalem, this, is, of course, is Solomon, a teacher. We could have uh, gone with the different Hebrew names and things like that. All that is is the Greek name, and it can mean uh, pastor as well, or kind of preacher. So there's a couple times that Solomon preaches to the people. One is the dedication of the temple. They, they sacrifice 22,000 bulls. They sacrifice 120 lambs and sheep. Like, this is a big, big deal. And he gets up, and he has his sermon. That's one of the times that Solomon preaches. But you could almost picture him having, like, all his nobles together, He's about to die. He's reflecting on his life and says, I just want to reflect with you for a little bit. There's a lot of reading today, so this is my high-risk reward. Uh, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. 
his observation. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. Under the sun. So he's saying in this observable world, like what has some value? And I want you to think about that just for a second. Imagine you wake up today and you say, you know what, this is not a great day for me. What could I do to be happier? What could I do to make this like really worthwhile? What would make me happier? So think about that for a while. Like Nate, you, there's probably like 10 things, and I'm guessing they would land in about five different categories, but what would make you happier? Just kind of say it in your own head. This does not have to be a big thing, right? I bent my rim on my bike race, and so now it's totally toasted, and so I'm trying to convince my wife secretly, like through multiple methods, she doesn't know about this yet, <laughs> to get a carbon wheel. So I'm thinking, this has cost a lot more money, but, you know, it's lighter. And would that really give me satisfaction? So I've not bought the wheel yet. I'm checking eBay. And I'm thinking, if I get this wheel that can accelerate a little bit better and a little bit better performance, would I be happier? Right? Is that, that's, you ever look around your house and you say, what if we fix up the kitchen? What if I got new countertops? What if we got a new car? What if my car worked? Right? Like, this is, uh, d- uh, what, what is going through your head? Like, right now, I mean that. Like, you're looking at your job and you say, you know what, I really, I think I'd be satisfied if I got a little bit more recognition at work. Or what if you, st- you did some big project or you started some relationship with someone or you said, you know, what if I just had a girlfriend or what if I had a boyfriend? Or some people are struggling and they're like, what if I had a different girlfriend or a different boyfriend? Like, these are all things. This does not have to be a big, big thing. I'm not talking about, like, you know, quitting everything and moving to Africa or something like that to help the poor. What would make you happy right now? And we're going to go through some of those things, and Solomon is going to say, from the observable sun, under the sun, what is happening in this world, does this actually work? All things are wearisome. This is really depressing, but we'll, talk, we'll get through it. Um, all things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again, and what has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun, Is there anything which one can say, look, this is something new? It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. So this, you get this sense, right? And how many times have you tried something new that's very, very similar? Like you get a car and it's very new and then you try something new and you're like, oh, if I just got another new car, this would make me a little bit happier. If I got another new house or I got another new job or I got another new couple, like all these things, this newness makes it seem like it's very attractive. But then he gets all this done. He's like, okay, nothing is new under the sun. And this is the depressing part. No one remembers the former generations, even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. How many of you know your great-great-grandfather? How many of you even know your great-grandfather or grandmother? Well? No, all right, you know of the person, right? I met my great-grandma once. And she was really nice and she had candy corn, right? That's what I remember about her. So it must be an amazing woman that can supply terrible candy to all the kids, right? That's good. That's what I know about her, and she had a candy dish. That's what I know about my great-grandmother. I know my great-grandfather started a lumberyard. I know that. Like, this is your own family, and you can't even know anything about, like, your great-great, much less great. You know your grandfather, right? You know your parents, but how many generations does it take before no one even knows who you are? And you think about that when you go at work, like people are going to know who I am. And, you know, if I do the right things, people are going to recognize me. Solomon, of all people, we do recognize. Um, He's saying like no one remembers you. How about, uh, I'm trying to think of the name of the poet. Percy, I can never say his middle name. Birshi, 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 anyone? 
This is perfect, good. Uneducated people are only great once in a while. So, the, so Percy Beersy Shelley, you'll recognize his last name, got into this, this poem contest, and you might recognize it if you ever saw the show Breaking Bad. So if you watch Breaking Bad in the last episode, this is where, and I, I never watched it. I started watching the first couple episodes, and it was so disturbing to me. I was going to r- do my rower. I'm like, oh, I'll watch this whole season, and I'll, I'll punch this out. It was so disturbing to me. I would, like, lose power, and, like, my stomach would turn. So I'm like, I can't do this anymore. And so I didn't watch the whole season, but I know distinctly this is a famous, uh, very famous, uh, as they get ready for the trailer. And this is Brian uh, Cranston, who's going to read this famous poem. This is not about a, a real individual, but this is what happened. They had this poem contest, and Shelley and his friend looked at this, like, monolith, like, structure that was coming to go to, I think, the British Museum. And they decided, like, we're going to write this poem about this great, amazing structure. And this is the poem he came up with. Brian is going to read it for us. I hope. I met a traveler from an antique land who said, Two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them, on the sand, half sunk, a shattered visage lies, whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command tell that its sculptor well those passions red which yet survive, stamped on these lifeless things. The hand that mocked them and the heart that fed, and on the pedestal these words appear. My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty and despair. Nothing beside remains. Round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. All right, that was a little hard to understand, but did you get, did you get what he was saying? It's a little hard because he's reading like inside a porta potty, talking to a cup. But I mean, besides that, but did you get did you get what he was saying? He's like, okay, you, you go to this desert, and he see, he goes to this spot, and he sees like this like this plaque inside the desert, and he says, on that says like I am Ozymandias, like great and powerful, and no one will forget my deeds. And the last line basically is saying like in the sand, there's nothing else around except this statue. Solomon is recognizing it. He's saying, like, no matter what you do. So Solomon tried to do all these things. So let's just kind of walk through about these things that are going to give you some worth. Solomon says this, I, the teacher, was king over Israel. I applied my mind to study. So he says, okay, what if I study and explore wisdom? And what happens if I become the smartest person around? This is exactly what he does. He is so wise, the Bible says this, the wisest person around. People would come from all around to hear him talk about plants, it says in Kings. It talked about plants and animals and mankind. And people would come and they said, you are truly the wisest person I've ever met. And you know stories about Solomon, right? When you're a kid and the two uh, ladies, they have one baby and he's going to cut it in half. And as a kid, I'm like, that's the smartest thing I ever heard. So people travel all around and what does he say? All of this is meaningless, a chasing after the wind, like just trying to catch wind in your hand. Like you catch it in your hand and what's left? And so maybe your thing is education. Just think about that. Like, I really want to learn more and more, and I want people to look on me as kind of an expert in my field. And he says, what is that? It's chasing after the wind. I do not know what's going on with this, so I'm going to just stretch it. i got to hit, have you hit the button. Got it, Ellen? Uh, what is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem. And this is true. I have experienced much more of uh, much of wisdom and knowledge, and then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom. 
and also of madness and folly, but I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For me, uh, for with much wisdom comes much sorrow, and with much knowledge, more grief, more knowledge, and more grief. I think this died on me. So if you can click the next one. I said to myself, come, I will test you with pleasure and hit it again. So he tries wisdom. He says, okay, I'm going to chase this all down, and maybe I can be happy if I go to school. And I think some of you have gone down that path, right? You, you, you go to school, and then you go to college, and then you get a graduate degree, and maybe you get a doctor's degree, and then you're, you're like, hey, maybe people will look at me with a little bit better, and I'll feel, I'll feel fully and completely. And Solomon tried the same thing, and he says it's utterly meaningless. He tries this, what if I try with pleasure and what is good? So he tries wine, you can hit it again. He tries uh, cheering himself with wine and booze. He tries, eventually, you can hit it again, with great projects. He's like, okay, okay, I'm really depressed and I want to make myself happy, so now what if I just try drinking for a while? Maybe that's your thing, right? I mean, it does feel good for a bit. You just say, I'm going to have some alcohol, I'm going to party, I'm going to hang out with my friends, and this is what's going to make me feel awesome. But eventually you wake up. I mean, do you ever meet people when, and it, this is going to be terrible. Someone's going to send me an email. email. We went to a ski sale. Uh, we went to a ski sale, which is anyone, if you're going to ski at Steamboat, you should do this. You should go to Christie Sports. They have three for $159. It's a fantastic deal. So we went there, and I was get, Amy's going to get this ticket. And on the way in, you could see one of the reps for the ski hill coming in. And I said, wow, that's a hard life. And it was this woman who is no doubt was beautiful, like in the 20s, and said, I'm going to party and live on the ski hill, and this is going to be the life. And now she's coming at my age, and it looked like she was about 20 years older. Why? Because she said, this is where I'm going to find satisfaction in life, and I'm going to live it up, and that doesn't work. So then you try great projects, right? Have you ever tried to make yourself happy by doing some projects? Build yourself a table? Redo your kitchen? Clean up the basement? Finish that? You know, put the shiplap in your extra office? Change your bedroom? I mean, do you ever try this? And you're like, this is what's really going to make me happy, right? And then you get done, and then do you ever feel like a sense of pit? Okay, now let's just scale this up. Solomon threw parties for his whole entire household. Solomon, when he says, I built a project, right? And you're like, okay, yeah, I, uh, one time I built this table. I mean, you know, hypothetically, and it turned out awesome. And then you feel good about yourself and you brag about it all the time. Solomon built God's temple. Solomon built a house that took him 14 years to build. And it said there was not one item in his house that was not pure gold. Solomon built water, a water system that would come and water all his gardens, and it still lived 500 years later. So you're like, wow, it's pretty good. Solomon fortified the city of Jerusalem. Solomon fortified all the cities around. Solomon built places and trade stations all around, and Israel was never bigger. So you're like, yeah, I've got a pretty good job. People know who I am. He was the most famous guy on the whole planet. And he had more money than anyone. They talk about what kind of money Solomon had, and they use one example. They said silver was basically worthless in Solomon's time. One year, he got 25 tons of gold. So I did a little math. That is roughly, in today's dollars, and I know it's not the same, $1 billion that he would receive in tribute, a billion dollars a year. Do you know what that means? That means every minute, you would get $2,000. So imagine you're walking, hey, think I'll walk to the mall. On your way to walking to the mall, because you'd want to do that, you'd have like a hundred grand. You could do anything you wanted. I could do anything I wanted with $2,000, much less every single minute. He's got like another and another and another and another and another, a billion dollars. You can't even get your brain around how much money that is. And then he goes, all of it's meaningless. It doesn't even matter. Here, this is how he tries to find goal and pleasure. If you hit the next slide. 
I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female servants. I had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem. And I said, remember the temple? 120,000 120, lambs and sheep were killed at the dedication. No doubt these went into people's homes and they were sacrificed to all celebrate with him. He killed, I think it's 10,000 bulls. He had uh, 10,000 horses and 4,000, I think it is, chariots. Like the guy didn't even know what to do with his stuff. He had so much stuff, right? It's like, a, I mean, it ma- just, just think if he was a woman and he had a closet that could have all the shoes he wanted, right? This is what it would be like. So he could get anything he wanted. Today's world, he would have a car. The garage would have all the cars. And he had one of those cool things that go up and down like Batman. I mean, wouldn't you get that? I mean, this is what he's trying to do. He's trying to find some satisfaction. And he says, I acquired mayor and female singers. He's trying to entertainment. I had a harem as well. The delights of a man's heart. And he's talking about this publicly, 700 wives, 300 concubines. Again, again, and a level, and a level, and a level, right? And I know there's kids here, but people try and do that same very thing, right? Try and you, you try and get stuff. You try and get things. You try and start a project. You try and succeed at work. You try and get more money. You say, what if I start a new relationship? What if I divorce this person, and then I go have sex with this person, or I have an affair with this, or I look at the internet and I see this? Right? There's all these things that say like, oh, here's where I'm really going to get satisfaction. Here's where I'm going to be filled up. Does it work? He says, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. He said, I deny myself. He can hit again. I design myself nothing my eyes desire to refuse my heart no pleasure. Uh, we, we live in a unique spot, and I know I, I say that some. We live in a unique spot, and, and I think it's really unique when you lock just bike racing. You're like, What's, how's that connected? In bike racing, the most competitive categories are people in their early 20s because they're actually young and fit, and then guys in their 50s because they have enough money that they can train all day long, and they've got a good enough job so they can get the nicest bikes and the nicest stuff, and they can hire a coach. The most competitive category that travel around the nation is guys in their 50s. Now, we don't have a ton of guys in your 50s, but we have people at a spot where I feel... And I feel about the same thing. If I look at my life 20 years ago and I look not now, do you ever go to the store and you say, I can get basically anything I want? I can buy what I want? I get what I need? How many of you are like, you wake up and you're like, man, I can't afford anything? I think if you compared your life from now, from 25 years ago, the stuff you have is unbelievable. Solomon says it doesn't even matter. And to just put this on steroids again and again and again, it can hit the next slide. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all my hands had done, he looks at all the stuff he's made. And what I've toiled to achieve, anything, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. Then I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom and also madness and folly. And what more can the king's successor do than what has already been done? He basically, he's 50-some years old, he looks after and he says, is there anyone who's accomplished more than I have accomplished? And the answer is no. And then he keeps going. I hit it twice because it's going to highlight. I saw that wisdom is better than folly. I figured that out. Just as light is better than darkness, the wise eyes in their heads while the fool walks in the darkness. But I came to realize the same fate overtakes them both. Then I said to myself, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said to myself, this too is meaningless. Like the wise, like the fool will not be long remembered. 
the days have already come when both have been forgotten. Like the fool, the wise too must die. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of its meaninglessness of chasing after the wind, I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish, yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil into which this too is meaningless. I poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. My heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving for which they labor under the sun? All their days they work, is grief and pain. Even at night their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too I see is from the hand of God. Let me hit it one more time. For without him, who can eat or find jo- enjoyment? To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. And he says, for the sinner, the unbeliever, the unrepentant one, this all goes away. Uh, what's the big takeaway? I mean, we, we took a risk, right? We, we spent two chapters looking at what Solomon has to say. And you look at a guy who has literally accomplished everything and done everything you want. If your thing is education, Solomon tried to stretch it as far as he could go. If your thing is money, Solomon had more money than you ever had. If your thing is sex, he had more sex than any of you can imagine, right? If your thing is uh, being successful, he's more successful than any of you will be. He even tried sin for a while, right? You know, the life of Solomon, you're like, wow, this is God has poured all these blessings into him, and he has multiple wives. He worships at the Asherah poles. He puts up altars for all these different guys. He said, I'm going to try that for a while, too, and that doesn't work either. At the end of the day, he makes a simple point, and I think if you follow the book of Ecclesiastes, it's, hard, it's like stream of consciousness, but he makes a simple point. Nothing really matters this side of the sun unless you know who God is. You got a time right now where you wake up tomorrow and you say, where does my life stand? Maybe you're 54 and you're about ready to hit order on our nice Corvette. Steve, are you 54? Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) This sermon was for you, right? But what what does this all mean? You get to wake up and say, what has God given me? No one is going to ultimately remember you. Your kids might. uh, Grandkids might. Great-grandkids will not have any idea who you are or what you've done. People you work with won't care what you've done. They're not going to write books about you. But you have influence with a tiny group of people that you know. And you can connect them to something that lasts forever. And you can push all that stuff away and say, my life really doesn't mean anything unless it's connected to God because that's when you find real satisfaction. God has given me the work of my hands. God has given me my family. God has given me an eternity that lasts beyond these days. God has given me a Savior who came to this earth and showed me what true wisdom is. True wisdom is finding satisfaction, forgiveness, and love in Him. Amen. Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, our our battle is against the spiritual realm. There's so many things that are battling against us and fighting against us, and we want to find satisfaction in this world. I think every one of us is convicted on many levels because we try and search different bridges to find happiness. We go down one path and another path, and it doesn't work. Solomon writes in Proverbs, the beginning, uh, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So we pray that today is another day that we can wake up and say there is no wisdom, there is no satisfaction outside of you. 
Help us to shut down these other things and just find where we stand in your arms, uh, that we can see your face, that we know who you are, and all our labors don't matter, and, and we don't have to style and, and work and do all these things to impress a world that really doesn't care. No one cares. But you care that you've given us gifts and you asked us to use those gifts. Give us a chance to pour into the people who are around us. We're not asking us to remember us, them to remember us. We want them to remember and know who you are so they can be with you forever and ultimately in heaven we'll be reunited and we can reminisce about all the days that we've had on this earth, the toilsome labor we've lived and the sinful world, but the way that we were rescued from it through you and your name. We ask this in your name. Amen.